Hello world, welcome to another episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks, the show that educates, stimulates, and rejuvenates your mind, and we do that through interactive dialogue and deep conversations. Today I have the pleasure of having in the studio, via technology, the one, the only, Kalanda Douglas, and today... (laughs) We're going to have some fun just talking about who she is and what she does. Um, but like always here on what on Mr. Speaker Speaks, we talk about what matters most to you. But uh, we're going to start off with a prayer. I want to let everybody know, please check me out on the Internet at VincentTEdwards.com. That's VincentTEdwards.com. And like always, we start with a prayer. And today we're going to be blessed by the word of prayer from my guest today. Kalanda Douglas, it's on you. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you for your unwavering kindness. We thank you for being mindful of us, God. Lord, I ask that you bless our conversation, God, that you would give us the wisdom, that you would help us to speak with wisdom and skill, with expertise, God, and let whatever we say be of use to those who are listening, God. I pray that you will bless the listeners so that they recognize when something is said that it is intended for them and that you are meeting their need even through the airways, God. We thank you for every moment that you give us. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. And when you do, we're going to be careful to tell the world that it was you who healed, it was you who delivered us, and it was you who set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. In our inspirational verse of scripture today, the passage comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 10 through 12. And the word reads, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. I like verse 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life and with that i truly believe that describes my guest today kalanda douglas she is an award-winning author and orator and certified life coach and we're getting ready to talk to her kalanda welcome to mr speaker speaks thank you so much thank you for having me oh how's your day been going today it is going well it's going very well. well you know, and, and not, you know, going through your bio, I look at all that, you know, but what really is at the heart of Kalanda? If someone were to ask you, what's your purpose in life? What would you say to that? My purpose is to teach and to create safe spaces where it's um, okay to talk about things that are normally frowned upon. I want to help you unlearn things help you to learn the right way so so growing up I'm a church girl bona fide church girl so there are some things that I learned that are actually not biblical but they're they are limiting beliefs um, and they're religious limiting beliefs and so I want to help people unlearn those things and let's learn what the bible says about what we're supposed to do that's my purpose that's your purpose so tell us your journey to get to your purpose i mean where were you born where did you live where did you go to school where did you matriculate from college give us a brief overview of that journey okay 
Um, so I am a bona fide church girl, born and raised in church, um, daughter of a missionary who taught Sunday school, Bible study. Um, she sung in the choir. So I was one of those children who was always in church Sunday, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Bible study, Friday night teaching, and we would have choir rehearsal on Saturdays. Um, so a lot of my friendships were developed out of church. But church did give me a solid foundation. Um, it just clashed with the world that I had to go to school with. And so that is when things started to clash for me. Because here it is, I have one uh, set of friends, uh, one set of beliefs that works in the church, but it's not working so well over, you know, in school. Get on the yard. <laughs> yeah, they don't believe what I believe. They don't care about what I believe. And so um, went through high school. Um, I was teased and I got to a point where I did not like my reality. So I would fabricate it a little bit just to be able to fit in. And so it wasn't until I went, I graduated and went to college and I went to college in Jacksonville at the University of North Florida that I realized that I had been suffering from low self-esteem while I was in high school. I just didn't recognize it. So then I said, okay, college is going to be my fresh start. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows my mama is a missionary. So I get to live life the way I want to live it. Um, but that was not the case because once it's in you, it is in you and people can tell the difference. And so <laughs> you go to church. Um, you go to church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I would be in the club and trying to have fun and then it's like the teacher in me, the uh the part the highly moral, the highly ethical person in me, still like those things led my every move it led the way I dress it led the way I behave so I was in those spaces but you could tell I didn't fit in so you was in and the so club I, but you wasn't dressed like the club <laughs> no I, as a matter of fact I didn't even really know what to wear to the club I remember one time um trying to put on a sweater dress and I was getting ready to put on some tights and my college roommate said where do you think you're going but see I will wear that to church it was too short to wear you know to have my legs out and so I know from church when you have on a short dress put on some dark opaque tights and you can get away with it so I was getting ready to wear that to the club and she was like where do you think you're going and I was like oh I gotta wear this without tights and I had never felt so uncomfortable in my whole life um as a matter of fact my very first experience going to a club um somebody was shooting outside I said, God, the one time I want to go out and have fun, you got somebody out, somebody out here shooting. Um, the man was just shooting up in the air. So I said, okay, Lord, I know you're trying to tell me I don't need to go. So I waited so a little bit and then went to another club. And I didn't like it because there was only one way in and one way out. I said, God, if you get me out of this place, <laughs> I never do I never do this again and so eventually I um, finally surrendered I had always told myself when I got married I was going to be serious about the Lord because once you get married I felt like you can't really have fun so I can serve the Lord when I get married but <laughs> let me just let me just enjoy my college my college years and then life started happening and I realized I knew all the scriptures I knew all the songs but I had no relationship with the Lord I had no power and so that's when I started to look at things. And it, it was when I got married that I really got serious. And I was like, Lord, how in the world did I go to 
church all these years and not know you. I know more about rituals and traditions and what we're supposed to do from a religious uh, standpoint. But I don't know what it's like to worship. I don't know what it's like to have a prayer life. I just know what it's like to do church, Mm. to look like church. And so that sparked my whole church girls just want to have fun, which is now I call it the church girls movement. Um, so that's how I am to where I am today. All right. And you know, I'm not going to let this one go, but, uh, while you were on the yard, did you happen to pledge anything? <laughs> I did pledge. Uh, I am a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Um, very proud member, uh, to be in that sorority. That was like one of my goals when I went to college is I wanted to pledge and contrary to, uh, unpopular belief. I'm still saved, love the Lord, and I'm I'm a, I'm a member of a sorority that came up a lot in um in college as well. All right, you know I had I had to get that out there. You know, <laughs> there's something about '06 and '08. You know, <laughs> I don't make I make it known that I'm a member yeah. of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. I know that's right. So I have to let you know, have to always give a shout out for my sisters there. All right. Yeah. So this love of writing and, and storytelling, you said that that began at an early age. Give us some insight to that. So storytelling began, I would say, probably at like five years old. Um, my mom put me in my first oratorical contest. And um, Mother Wells was the lady at our church. And Mother Wells would help me prepare my speech. And I would compete with kids twice my age and win um those competitions because of the preparation that mother wells put it in uh how she worked with me i think she is the reason why i am the type of storyteller i am because mother wells made sure i had my props and that i knew what i was saying without my props if i lost them or i like i lost my place with whatever mother wells made sure that i knew my speech backwards and forward and um it just took off from there every chance i got i was uh, i took the opportunity to speak um writing essays in school were was natural to me um i wouldn't i i won't say that i had i ever thought i would be like a fiction writer but i did have a love for writing um the fantasy and um things with a lot of imagery in it and I didn't really know that it was a a gift until I became an adult but it was just something that came easy to me so I didn't necessarily do anything to like uh make it better or try to gain more expertise in it because it just came so naturally I'm not even sure if my parents recognized that oh this might be a gift because it was so natural for me to do those things but yeah, started at an early age and um, even in college and as a young adult, still participating in um, contests and um, submitting essays for um, contests and uh, things like that. Just just continue. And then one day I had a, a book idea and it was like on my back. I, it like the idea would not go away. So I was like, I'm going to write this book and then I'm just, just, I'm just writing and that's going to be it. And I had no idea that people would actually want to read it and would actually enjoy it. I really thought that was just, I was writing that for me to just get that idea out of my head Um, because I had held on to it for a few years and I wrote it. And then it's like, as soon as I wrote it, Lord gave me another idea. I said, okay, I'm going to write this book. 
and it's going to be it because I've never seen myself as an author. And then he gave me another idea. <laughs> so <laughs> It just flowed. So, yeah, it just flows. Yep. Wow. That is, that is powerful. The Hope Dealer. Where did that come from? And what, how do you deal hope? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I like that. I said, Lord, it's a lot of people out here slanging a lot of stuff, selling a lot of things. Um, and I recognize that I don't necessarily want to be recognized as a missionary. I'm not trying to be recognized as an elder or a pastor's wife or anything like that. But if I had to have a title, I want it to be recognized as a hope dealer. I know um, encouragement is one of my um, strengths, is one of my gifts. And so I, I started realizing that in any situation, I kind of have the ability to, I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person. I've always been that way, love, happy endings, things like that. So I always have a tendency to be able to spot the good in any situation. And so because we're in a society where everybody has a title, or everybody is desiring a title. And I've been in places where people want to give me a title. I said, okay, well, if I'm going to be recognized as anything, I want to be recognized as the hope dealer. Because I, for a while, struggled with just being Marcus's wife, my husband's wife. And I recognized the need to be able to stand on my own because the Lord had given, given me a ministry of my own. So, okay, Lord, well, I don't want to be licensed <laughs> or anything. Because when they find out that you got a license... They want to, you know, they really want to uh, use you to serve in different areas. Yeah. So if I want to be recognized in any place, I want to be recognized as the hope dealer. Oh, and for my listening audience, when she's talking about licensing, it's one of those church things. You know, you got to be licensed to preach, licensed to teach. And what she's saying is we, we call them in the Church of God in Christ credential holders. And so what she was really saying, she doesn't want to be known as that person that has a, a credential because then they want to pull you in here and pull you in there and do all kind of things. But <laughs> so I, so I just want to let, let everybody know where that comes from. So, um, so how do you deal hope? How do you deal something as intangible as hope? Right. Um, I think the way that I found that I do it is um, to deal with the person. So whenever I am encouraging my audience or people who the Lord has given me to privately uh, counsel or what, what have you, I don't minister just to their spirit. Um, the Lord has given me the ability to be able to minister to the person as a whole. And uh, I think that's the way he uses me to build hope. So I'm not just preaching Jesus to you. I'm going to preach it. But that's not the only thing I want to deal with. I want to deal with you um, as a total person. And so he uses me um, through my writing and also through speaking. And um, when it's your gift, it's amazing how the Lord can can use your gift to meet needs. And so sometimes I'm just on social media talking smack about something about some situation that I've gone that I'm going through and how I didn't like it, but what I learned in this, and that is a way that gives other people hope. And um, I also find out the more transparent I am, I have this thing where I say that I share my scars so that other people can avoid scars in this same area. It's like one of the main things I wish we could be more transparent about with each other. Like, if you have the answer to something that I am dealing with, please tell me. I don't want to have to 
go through something similar to find to end up with the same scar that you have. But I know the only way that we can do that is to be transparent. So I think through my transparency, I'm able to deal hope. Like, yes, I go through this. I suffer from this sometimes. I have these thoughts. I have these doubts. But at the end of the day, this is what I believe. This is what I hold on to. And I think that is the way the Lord uses me to be able to deal hope to others. Can you deal us a little bit of hope right now? You talk about <laughs> you talk about sharing your scars. Can, can you share a scar and deal us a little bit of hope from one of those things so we don't obtain that same scar? Share a story with us. Okay. Um, so back in 2018, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, as we would say, and, uh, you know, I... Mighty <laughs> <laughs> And... Um, my husband and I were trying to expand our family and we were at the doctor's office. We had um, taken my oldest son to the op- to the appointment with us. He had on a big brother t-shirt. We were all excited. Got on the table. The lady has the ultrasound up and she's like, sorry, sweetheart, I don't see a heartbeat. And we're like, what? And I'm thinking, not the God I serve, not how many you know times I've served in ministry, um, when I didn't want to, how many people I ministered to. At this point, I had already written books. I had hosted events. So I'm thinking, Lord, not the number of people I've counseled for you. This is not happening to me. Um, and I dealt with that loss for a whole year. I, of course, I knew God existed, but I did not want to talk to him. I was upset with him. And I think that was the first time in my whole life that I had realized that it was okay to be angry with God as long as I didn't sin and that he was big enough to handle my anger. He did not need, um, I, I needed, he, he understood that I am still human and that I was going to have feelings about my loss. But as long as I kept running to him because we were in relationship and I let him know how I was feeling, he was also there to comfort me, to make me whole again. And I didn't realize that there are some things in our lives that we that we lose. And it may be the loss of a child. It could be the loss of a dream. It could be the loss of a person. There are other things in life that we grieve because of a loss. And I think that what we where we miss out is that we don't grieve. And so then we hold on to that anger because of that loss. Instead of realizing that the Lord is big enough to handle our anger, that he made you with those emotions and he wants you to be whole and to be healed. But the only way sometimes some of us can get to the other side is when we feel those things and and we're honest with him. Lord, I don't like what you did. I don't like the decision that was made, but I trust you anyway. And I think that's, that's the only way I got out to the other side. So whenever you experiencing a loss, whatever it is, um, know that it's okay to grieve. Give yourself permission to grieve the loss of whatever that is and know that God is big enough to handle your anger. I, all I can do is just, you know, I'm going to be churchy on this one, but just say amen. I mean, because I can relate to that um, from that standpoint because I lost my mother um, back in 2007 and, you know, I went in the hospital, prayed for her. I had them pray for people. They got healed and all this stuff. Yep. And I'm like, God, you took my mama? I was right. like, wait a minute. But it was at that time that God just dropped one word in my spirit. And that word was sovereign. Yeah. And, every- <laughs> and yep. after that, I was like, I got it. I got it. I mean, I didn't, not that I agreed with it. <laughs> right. 
but I got it. And it took me a while to get over that. Cause I'm like, I done did all this for you and my mama. Yeah. <laughs> you take her. So I, I, I can understand that. And that, that's some, that, that was some, uh, you know, that was some good stuff right there. As they would say, when you're a dealer, that was some good hope right there. You just, <laughs> <laughs> you, you just dealt some good stuff. That, 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 that was that raw uncut stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think that's an area we don't really, we don't deal with a lot in ministry is that we're, we are humans. We are humans and this is a relationship. And because I'm in a relationship with the Lord, he knows me anyway. So I might as well be honest with my emotions and how I'm feeling than to act like they don't exist. And then I'll at the same time, I'm harboring all of this anger and this bitterness towards him. And that is a hard pill to swallow that he's sovereign. Yes. And he does what he wants to when he wants to because he is God. <laughs> that, that thing. And when it hit, it's like, okay. <laughs> I got yeah. you. It's going to nevertheless, yeah. Lord, not my will, but thy will yeah. be done. Yeah. Well, I, but that's why I church folk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it's where I say, whatever will be, will be. That's how they, they, yeah. they yeah. it roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so we, we look at all this. I mean, I'm really having a good time. Um, my guest today on Mr. Speaker Speaks, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kalanda Douglas, and we're talking about a lot of good things. Let's move on to this whole concept of church girl. What What is a church girl? <laughs> Because okay. I, I'm, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I like to have fun on my show because I like to let everybody know I ain't been saved all my life either. Right. Uh, but when I think of church girl, I think of easy prey <laughs> from a world's perspective. Naive. The church is always full of women. And when I was out there, you know, that's hey, let's let's go to church. Why you want to go to church, man? That's where the ladies are. But what's <laughs> <laughs> so? What is a church girl? I would say the same thing. Um, easy prey. Um, sometimes they lack social skills, um, dating skills. Um, they sometimes they can be very religious. Um, their aspirations maybe always have to do with church related aspirations. Um, we have a lot of church girls who aspire to be pastors' wives. Um, and not have any other social aspirations. And so that's what I think of as a church girl. And so my organization, I wanted to um, contradict that and to change the stereotype. And so that's why I started with calling it church girls just want to have fun. Because even on, although that is the way the world sees me, I am still a human. I'm still a human being. And there are things that I still want to experience even though I love God, I feel like because of the stereotype, it has prohibited women, um, for some reason, women more than men, in my opinion, from living a full life, having full experiences. And on the other side, then you have, um, you know, men. So one of the examples that I like to use is I'll say, like, um, for church girls are taught to be good wives and to remain chaste until they are married. That's what you teach church girls. But they don't teach church boys that. <laughs> they teach church boys to, to how to protect themselves if they're going to be with somebody. And so I wanted to contradict the stereotype. Um, not that we don't need to remain chaste, but let's contradict, the, information. Let's contradict the stereotype that we only look this way. We can only do things this way. 
um, because that's just not so. So what I'm hearing is you, your whole goal was to change the narrative. They can still be church girls, but how they are viewed, how they are perceived, uh, it's going to be totally different because there's no one way a church girl should look. Is that what I'm hearing? Right, right, right. That's exactly it. And while people may think that church girls only have uh, a desire for church things, I'm teaching women that the priority should not be religion, but it should be a relationship with the Lord. And then that is the only way that you can have a full life, not through religion. Um, so that's what I'm I'm trying to teach with everything that I do. So how, how difficult is it to change that narrative? Because, you know, for example, you know, I left Church of God. I mean, left church, not Church of God in Christ. I just left church when I left home at 17 because it was all about what you can't do. I mean, when right. I grew up, I was like, you can't do this. You can't go here. You can't go there. I was like, this the, this the church that you can't do. Why would I want to be a part of this? And so I, I left. So how do you change that narrative when, you know, helping people understand that in Christ they do have liberty and you can have, I mean, like right now, we're joking, we're having fun, and both of us just as saved as all get up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you go about changing that narrative and that stereotype? I think the way that I am doing it is trying to um, increase biblical knowledge to make women become more biblically sound. Uh, a lot of things we believe is as a result of what we've been taught, and we haven't gone to do the work ourselves to see what the Bible actually says. Um, it wasn't until, and you know, I love my foundation. It made me who I am, but I realized when I became an adult that I was adhering to certain traditions out of fear instead of because I wanted to. So it wasn't until I got to college that I wore pants in church for the first time. Because that's what I know you did. Ooh, you know that church mother going. <laughs> because I, that, all my life, I had heard that women are supposed to wear, um, you know, wear dresses at church. And now I understand the teaching. The, now I understand the thought behind that teaching. But at the time, I was only doing it out of fear and out of ignorance because I thought this was, you know, this this is what they said it's supposed to be. And so, but in turn, like you, it was a bunch of rules. And it's like, well, if it's this hard to serve God, sinning is more fun. Yes, sinning fun. I, I, I tell folk all the time, if there was no pleasure in sin, would nobody do it? <laughs> right. So I want to change and make sure, make sure women are biblically sound so that if you're going to practice or observe something, it's the out of knowledge and not out of ignorance or fear and i think that way we change the stereotypes so this is a woman who goes to church but she's not just stereotypical church girl who's just religious minded lacks social skills or like you say easy pray easy pray <laughs> <laughs> and i'm gonna leave it right there y'all some things i just have to take to the grave me and the lord so, so when you when you wrote the book church girls just want to have fun what's the outcome that you desire from this book so because that was my first one i wanted it to attack an area where i feel like as church girls we lack skill education and that was in dating mm. um i'm actually working on something else if i 
sit down and do it like I'm supposed to do because I've heard men from church say before that women in church lack social skills and that it's even difficult to be on a date with them. And I know that it's because as a woman growing up in church, one of like the highest forms of achievement was to be married. It wasn't to get an education or to start your own business. It's to get your husband and start your family. And so I know a lot of women look at men as that might be my husband, girl, that might be my husband. And so we don't even use dating as a way to get to know someone. And we're already going into it thinking like this could be the one. And so I wanted us to be able to have some education starting as teenagers mm. um, on how to talk to our children about dating. Because I tell parents, we want them to um, marry the opposite sex. And so we have to teach them how to have interactions about dating with the opposite sex. And mom and dad is going to have to be comfortable having that conversation. And so in the back of the book, I actually provide questions so parents and their team can come together and discuss the book. But at the same time, it's teaching the teen something and helping the mom or dad understand where the child is coming from. Most definitely. So. And, I, and I like that because you, you cover things like dating rules and boundaries uh, that that's 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 a big one right there yeah <laughs> <laughs> gotta have some boundaries you know i ain't saying yeah. you gotta scare somebody but uh you know uh, behaviors or actions uh to demonstrate uh you know it, it's a lot of things in there so what was the biggest takeaway that somebody said that they walked away with from reading church girls uh just want to have fun what was one of the biggest takeaways I would say that just as the Lord cares about your spiritual life, it helps to let someone know that the Lord cares about this too. So Lord isn't just concerned about your salvation, but he wants you to live. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be in good health. He wants you to, you know, walk in your purpose. He wants you to um, if it's for you, he wants you to be married and to be married well. And I think that's something that um women have gotten most from this book is that the Lord is concerned about your love life. He's not just concerned about your prayer life, but he cares about who you're giving your time and your attention to. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that came out. So we define church girl. What's fun? I mean, cause you know, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just having some fun here, but uh, you know, because we're going to jump from church girls just want to have fun. Cause I really want to know what's fun. And okay. then we're going to jump to Confessions of a Virgin Bride. I mean, that's almost okay. like oxymoron here. Like, you're going to have some fun, <laughs> but they don't, but, you know, I'm just, what, so what is fun for a church girl? I would say, based on how I was raised, it was all the things that we were taught we could not do, but you can do. So, like, the Lord doesn't care if you go to the movies. He, um, what you I say? Well, to, I could go to the movies. I, I go to that show. I went to the movies. Um, I played board games with dice. Um, I went to my senior prom. I went to my boyfriend's junior prom. Like those social activities that sometimes we have been taught, we, we teach that Christians can't participate in. I want people to know that the Lord never said we can't go to parties. And so, you know, there are people who don't celebrate certain things because of what they have been taught. And I just want people to know, like, he never said you can't go to your prom. He didn't say you can go to graduation or grad night or what all these other activities that everyone else, you know, in your circle 
is going to. And so that's what I mean by fun. Okay. So that means you can still, you can uh, have fun and still be holy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and yeah. I, I, I truly can concur with that because I mean, I, I really enjoy, you know, having having a good time. And I, I do think that there is, you know, this this different or different set of rules, even in Christendom, even in the church for men and women. Um, and I think it's very admirable with regard to what you're doing to educate uh, young women and especially developing those skills for interaction and communication to make them better and to let them know one of the things when I t- have an opportunity um, to, to talk with uh, young, young girls in, in the midst of the men, I always tell them don't settle. I mean, right. don't, don't settle, you know, you know, you, God created you for great things and you have to come to understand that and you have to learn who you are and who you are in God, which leads me to my next question. Before we get to Confessions of a Virgin Bride, how did you overcome that issue of low self-esteem? I think that was more about just getting to know who I am in Christ. And this is why it's important for me that women know that, you know, for them to be biblically sound. Because had I known or really understood that I am an heir in a joint air with Christ, I wouldn't have cared what other people were saying about me. Like you're telling me that the 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 Lord, the the Father's Son, I'm an heir to His throne, and I think that would that gave me more insight about who I really am, and it made me really understand that I am in this world, but I am not of it. And so, um, although I am human, I can't make decisions or be moved or held back or swayed by the opinions of others. And so also becoming biblically, biblically sound helped me to make sure I didn't let that criticism get to my heart as it had gotten before. Um, because I kept I had to keep filling up on scriptures and who does the Bible say I am? What does the Bible say about me? And I had to practice those things. So when I did hear criticism, I didn't let it get to my heart. Hmm, okay, excellent. Confessions of a virgin bride from a church girl who just wanted to have fun. Right. <laughs> what prompted this book? And it, this is, is very interesting, even from the table of contents. I, I want to ask you, you went backwards, so to speak, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, when you're talking about your topics and ended up with God as the last one dealing with confessions. Is there a reason you did this? Um, I guess I kind of wanted to point out that although these things, these other seven things are important, we don't have, your marriage is not, uh, Christ is not at the center as the first thing. It doesn't matter if you have great communication. It doesn't matter if you guys go to the same church or not, if your families like each other or not, like it has to be Christ centered for all of this to be, um, to be held up upon. So it was my artistic way, I guess, of saying, yeah, all these things do matter and make sure you address them and have the necessary conversations. But if you get to this and this is not at the center, you're going to have a tough time trying to, uh, you know, do two through eight. So So it's almost a a top eight countdown and go from eight to one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
So what prompted the writing of this book? And then, you know, it could have just been confessions about, you know, marriage, confession about, you know, how to live this or do this. But why did you say confessions of a virgin bride? Why did you put emphasis on that? Ooh, okay. So this is what I, our conversation may go deep, deep. Okay. This is hey, this is what Mr. Speaker speaks about. Okay. Deep conversations. So growing up in church, I had never the extent of our conversations about sex, and this is why I said earlier that you know we were taught to be chaste. Whenever we had functions and the girls would get together. We always talked about men and being married and um, things like that. And, um, but we never talked about sex, except that it was um, best or only perfect within the confines of marriage. So I understood that. And that was drilled into us that, you know, be chasing. Once you wait, once you wait, you get married, it's going to be beautiful because you waited and you did it the Lord's way. And um, my testimony is that I was a virgin when I got married and I had, I married my high school sweetheart. So after seven years of dating, I married my husband. And um, when I say, not that they were not right, but I realized the lack of conversation about sex was also detrimental. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you told me that it was perfect in the, within the confines of marriage, but you didn't, but I wasn't taught how valuable it is to marriage. I didn't realize that, I mean, I knew the scripture that, you know, my body wouldn't belong to me anymore, that, you know, his body would, wouldn't belong to him anymore. But I literally on my wedding day, as I said, I do and kiss my husband, I thought something in me would change and I would magically or suddenly go from being this chaste woman who had been taught to keep herself pure for uh, I think I was 22 when I got married for 22 years and then all of a sudden within the blink of an eye I was supposed to now be this sexual being and so I felt like I cannot let this happen to anybody else and I struggled with going from this I struggled with this transformation mm. because it was a mental thing. It was an emotional thing. Here I am supposed to be suddenly comfortable giving myself to a person like this after it being drilled into me that you don't, you know, that you, you better not do it. I know one time mother told us, if you get it up, you better get it down. And so I was like, oh my God. Like, I never wanted to be in that position. So I was like, I don't care what happens. We are not going in because I don't know what that requires for me to have to do that. And so I was serious about my virginity. But the lack of uh, conversation was also harmful because I didn't understand the tra the transition or how uh, valuable it was going to be inside of marriage. And so my husband and I struggled because, and then I thought it was something wrong with our chemistry. So I'm like, Lord, how is it I dated a man for seven years and we had all this chemistry and couldn't wait to be married. And now that I'm married, it's like the chemistry is out the door. The first time I had ever heard about sex again was a few weeks before we got married. Um, my pastor in Jacksonville told me in a marriage counseling session with my fiance that Kalanda, you're going to have to teach Marcus what he needs to do. Mm. And I'm thinking, how in the world I'm going to do that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I know where he was never, going with that one. <laughs> we've never been in this, you know, in that type of uh, moment. Of course, sometimes, it, you know, it got heated, but I never let it go far enough for me to be able to be comfortable 
having this conversation with him. And so I, I wrote the book because I wanted women to know, like, I had all these, all this uh, history with my, my fiance that I thought would be valuable in our marriage and still look at all this, these issues I had anyway. And so just to help another sister, again, just another way of trying to share my stars so that they can avoid scars of their own. I wrote Confessions of a Virgin Bride. And based upon that the discussion that we just had, you know, and that's uh, on page 107, that's where that begins. But there's a lot of stuff be, uh, before that. And I think what you said about, you know, you think it was supposed to magically happen, but it was that lack of early communication and not just within the confines of marriage, but it's from those who have been there, those that should have talked to you and taught yes. you these things. And I think that's where the failure comes in because we'll talk about all kind of stuff, but when it comes to that, we don't do it. So how, how important is communication within the confines of, of marriage? Oh, it's, it's top notch. I, you think, I think you need to understand the type of communicator you're marrying so, um, for example, my husband is mild-mannered, and I have learned that he needs a moment. But I'm the type of person, let's talk about it now so we can hurry up and get past this. But if I push him, then I may not like what he has to say. So I think it's important that we know the type of communicator that we're marrying, so then you in turn know how to communicate with him. So um, it's not... A, you know, it's not disrespectful or it's not like he doesn't care if he says, Clan, I don't want to talk about this right now. It's because I know he's the type of communicator he is. He needs a moment to get his thoughts together so that I can be happy or satisfied with whatever he has to say to me. Um, so I think that is top notch when you're getting married. Unique communication is key. It really is. I want to re highly recommend that uh, my listening audience uh, get a copy of this book. I mean, in it, she talks about the concept of communication, dealing with church, dealing with in-laws. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I'm just going to say I love my mother-in-law. She was good. Me, me too. I, I mine, mine's good to me too. <laughs> my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, old school. And, my, and I, I joke about this all the time when we go down to West Palm Beach. And when I first, we first got married and we went there, she would say, April, get in there and fix that man plate. And my wife would look, and I'd be like, oh, mama, old school. I just sit down on the couch and, and everything. She said, you better enjoy this right now because when we get back to Tallahassee. <laughs> but uh, I just had to say that, you know, I love my, my, my mother-in-law. But then you deal with career and family, that extended family, and then money, sex, and then ultimately God. And, I mean, she touches on some really good things. I mean, if you really want to understand and get some insights, Confessions of a Virgin Bride is for you. Let's talk about your radio talk show, your talk show. Okay. What's that all about? What's all, what's that all about? So uh, I have a radio show uh, in Jacksonville. Uh, it's also, we turned it into a podcast. So it's streaming on all platforms and it's called The Real Room. And it's a space, a friend of mine from church. Uh, he's like a brother to me. He's my husband's best friend. And my husband acts as our um, producer. It's a space that we wanted to create to have conversations about the intersection of life and faith. So there's a lot of things going on in life. And there are many topics that you don't hear faith leaders giving any guidance or aren't having any discussions about. Uh, and we started it back, I think, in like 2005. 
2015 or 2016, I can't remember, but it's really been a blessing to me because I know when I first um, got a chance to vote for the for my first presidential election, it was Obama's first time. And all I wanted was for somebody from church to tell me not how to vote, but how, how does the Bible, you know, what does the Bible speak about on this? And then, you know, all of the uproar from um, social justice points of views and there wasn't that much conversation from faith leaders in uh on, on the you know internet platforms and so i'm happy that we can provide that space for us to be able to talk about those things so we talk about everything from what's going on in the world what's going on in music um to what's happening in church um and i mean we call it the real room for a reason so we'll talk about politics in church or we'll talk about um you know, fundraising in church or what have you, but it's really been a blessing to me personally. I tell them it's my therapy for me to be able to get all my feelings out <laughs> and then I can go back to serving the Lord. <laughs> so it sounds like it's working for you. How is it working well for you? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, of course, I wish I could do it all the time, um, but I, of course, I have other things the Lord has called me to do, and my co-host also has uh, another ministry that he, an uh, organization that he leads, um, but it has been working well. The Lord has opened up doors. We've been able to meet some um, top people here in Jacksonville. The Lord has opened up doors with the platforms that we're able to be on, so it, it has really been a blessing, and it's interesting because it was the one thing I had never asked God about. I'd always decided, like, I got to one point when I was like, man, I really like speaking. What else can I do with this? I didn't know that people were out here making careers of just being speakers. So I thought the next best thing would, would be to be on the radio. And I didn't know anybody in radio or anything like that. And I happened to mention it to my co-host. And he said, I've been thinking about doing something different. Let's just pitch it. And we pitched it to um, Peer Radio here in Jacksonville, and they were looking for a millennial voice at the time. So it just worked out. So I always call it my my open door that I never even asked God about because I was too afraid to ask him about. He had already been so good. I didn't want to like bother him with another thing that I wanted. <laughs> but it was it was my open door that I never prayed about, and the Lord gave He opened the door for me. So what, so what what's going on with your blog? Oh, that is my open diary. Um, I do a monthly blog about whatever topic the Lord has um, gives me for the month or like a thought that I've been chewing on for the month and I can't uh, let go. I usually publish it on the last Thursday of the month. Uh, and it's at www.colandadouglas.com. And I talk about all kinds of topics from family to marriage, um, the first time I ever told people out loud that I was angry with God and that I needed to forgive him about my miscarriages was uh, on my blog. Um, so that's my big, my open diary. And the reason why I started it is because even though I enjoy speaking, I do better with getting my feelings out in writing. So like sometimes when I would spend my prayer time, I do less talking and I enjoy more about writing in my journal my prayer out and I find that I'm more open with the Lord when I write it out and so this was just an extension of that 
Wow. Yeah, because I'm checking it out. I mean, married in a pandemic, unexpected Christmas surprise. (laughs) Try God again. Oh, my goodness. The Walking Dead. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. But married in a pandemic. Oh, Jesus. It's it's, it's on the blog, but, you know, one of my friends, uh, we we were talking about this. It's like, man, COVID-19 has brought a lot of stuff to light. To oh life. yes! <laughs> it's like when you going back to work. <laughs> I was telling somebody just last night. It's intensive therapy for your family. It's like it's an intensive therapy situation that no one can leave because it's basically it's too much. It's too risky to be going to somebody's house. So you get upset. You need space. Where are you going? So you might as well work it out because we can't really be out and about right now. It's intensive to go to somebody else's house because they're concerned about their family. So, yeah, it's bringing a lot of things to light, but it's like the Lord knew we needed this time. (laughs) We can address some stuff. Yeah, so you need to go to KalandaDouglas.com and check out uh, her blog. I mean, it, it is powerful. What's next on the horizon for the Hope Dealer? Okay, um, so July 8th through the 11th, I am hosting my annual retreat for married and engaged women. Um, this has been the second year that we do it as a trip. The first two years, I did it as a brunch. And then I wanted a more intimate environment and a way where we didn't have to end our conversation so quickly. So we're going to gather together in Orlando, Florida for that weekend. I have a nice luxury vacation home that I rented out. And um, eight women are going to join me. And it's so funny that you started this uh, our talk with Proverbs 31, because that's exactly what we're going to study. See, I because didn't know I that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people want to be a virtuous woman, but they have no, they don't really, I want to dig deep and see what she was and what she did. She was a businesswoman. She was crafty. She was a servant. Like she handled her business. So it's like, this is the reason why her husband, her price is far above rubies, why her husband and her children called her blessed. It's because of all these things. So we're going to do a deep dive. And um, I host that through the Church Girls Movement. So if anybody wants more information and wants to join me for that weekend, they can go to churchgirlsmovement.com. Wow. You know, I, I want to throw something out here that I, that I I came across when you're talking about this, this retreat. And um the, the, the scripture that comes to mind is he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. And somebody broke that thing down to me. It's like he didn't find a woman that he wanted to date it. But when he found her, she was already a wife. Right. <laughs> right. You're going to talk That's about good. that one. He, she was already a wife, meaning that she was, was ready because a lot of um, I, I have a lot of single friends and when i was in the workplace and they come talking about you know they said pastor i'm ready to get married can you pray for me to find a husband i say well you why you want to find a husband he supposed to find you <laughs> <laughs> right and, and then i asked him i say well you know you want a husband so are you in a place to be found i mean are you in our and, and when i talk about a place are you in the right state of mind right state of being are you wife material already right and they right. be like they look at me like i'm crazy i'm like i'm just you know i'm just being real what do you say about that i think you're spot on and i i would add to it that you know a lot of women always talk about boaz and ruth and i've heard people say 
or Ruth was in a position to be seen by Boaz. I mean, she got out. She didn't go to work and go home thinking that her husband's going to find her on the way to her house or on the way to work. But she was social. She was out and about. And so I think um, sometimes women, this this season of wanting to be married can be uh, debilitating for some women. If they don't know, it goes back again how to date and how to have some social skills um, because all they want is that that I want to be married, I want to be married, and they're not focusing on what can you do now while you wait. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's, it can be more difficult. And I talk about that in Confessions of a Virgin Bride. If your career is not already established, you know, if um, you don't have your money already in, in place, those things can be more difficult after you get married. But it's when you have the time and the space to get things together now, and like you said, it puts you in a position to be a wife when you are found, not getting ready to be a wife. <laughs> That's it. But being ready. Oh my God. I can't believe the time has just gotten away. This has been a great <laughs> conversation. I'm having so much fun with the hope dealer. She done dealt me a little bit of hope. <laughs> dealt me a little bit. I mean, may I may have to uh, be knocking on the door. Uh, can I get some more hope? Can I get some more hope? <laughs> get a person hooked, give it for free, and then you start charging. So That's it, what it, we're supposed to do. Create an appetite for <laughs> That's it. So <laughs> any seminars or any other things? things outside of that conference that's coming up um, on the horizon for you anything online that they can sign up for and, and register for and take some online classes from you or anything like that oh you're gonna put me to work um <laughs> i feel like i so i am working on another book and like i said it's gonna focus on dating but i do have a um a class already available because i said i wanted to women to become more biblically sound I did a master class on how to study the Bible um, and not just reading the Bible just to say you read it. But I actually inside the, the, the class teach you how to study it, um, find out who the author is, the genre, so that it can help you to better understand what you've read. And so that master class, the replay of that is available on my website. And um, you can also I created a Bible study journal to go with along with that and that journal is like uh on the spot guide on, of how to study the bible um because i think a lot of people think because they've read it that they're going to internalize it but it works best when you know what you're studying and you know how to understand it within context and that is what helps you to know what the lord is saying to you through um his word it's like this is the best love letter ever and we ought to want to know what it says about us what it promises to us and what god says about us but we have to be able to understand how it was written i concur 100 percent. oh this has been great my guest <laughs> on mr speaker speaks i've had the pleasure of speaking with kalanda douglas oh faith coach awesome <laughs> hope dealer my last question <laughs> what matters most to you what matters most to me is not getting to heaven and finding out who I could have been, what I could have accomplished if only I had trusted God. I want to do, I want to use my time here on earth to fulfill the roles he's given me to be wife, mom, friend, servant, daughter, and I want to serve him well so I can accomplish everything the Lord has planned for me. All right. Well, 
Excellent. Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to put my first dibs in when the new book come out. I want to, I wanted to go first right here on Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, we we can okay. do that right off the press. Amen. I mean, I, you know, you got to check with your people and make sure <laughs> your attorney and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I like to have it first here on Mr. Okay. Speaker Speaks, if that's possible. You know, I, I think that's possible. You know, I, I'll play a close, I'll play a close second. You know, that's all right. But you know, I, I'm just trying to put, put, put it out there. With Kalanda, I really thank you for being a great and wonderful guest here on Mr. Speaker Speaks. I I tell you, it has been enlightening and it has been a pleasure. And I'm walking, I'm walking away with some hope from the hope dealer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I I pray that all goes well and may God's hand be upon you and everything that you do. It's truly been a pleasure having you here on what, on the show that matters most, Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, Life doesn't always come easy. Remember, there's a lesson learned in everything that you go through because the road to success is through failure. Remember, in all that you do, be magnificent. Until next time, be good, be blessed, but most of all, be a blessing to someone. <laughs>